You know why baseball's the greatest sport? Because if you fail seven out of ten times, you're considered really good. That's a 300 hitter is considered really good. It means seven out of ten times was a failure. And I think when it comes to the word failure, there's, there's two types of failure. One maybe isn't really failure, but I don't know else how to categorize it. Kind of like what Thomas Edison said that he didn't fail 999 times when it came to inventing the light bulb. He figured out 999 different ways not to make a light bulb. So that's a good perspective on what perceived failure could be, right? Um, how many like Kentucky Fried Chicken, the Colonel? Nobody. All right. It is some greasy stuff. I get you. Um, eat it at your own risk, right? But do you know that Colonel Sanders, um, he tried to sell his recipe a thousand times before someone bought his recipe. He did all kinds of odd jobs, sold lamps and insurance and stuff trying to get by. He didn't become a millionaire until he was 62. And it was like the thousand and one time somebody bought his recipe and the rest is history. Um, how many have ever played or heard of the app Angry Birds? I think that's the most downloaded app in the history of apps. Um, Somebody else might know the, the answer to that. I know it's a lot. And the company that created Angry Birds is called Rov Rovio. And they had 51 other apps that all failed until Angry Birds came along. So they had a lot of failures themselves. And then famously Steve Jobs of Apple got fired from Apple in 1985 and then got hired back and ended up becoming you know, one of the biggest companies in the world. So there's that type of failure where you step out, you take a risk, and something just doesn't go your way. I have pastor friends who have planted churches, and you know the, the church didn't last very long, year and a half, two years. Is that a failure? I don't think so. If somebody steps out to do what they believe God has has called them to do, that's not a failure. That's called faith. That's called obedience. And we leave the, the results up, up to God. But there's another kind of failure. And in what we're going to look at this morning, it's think of both types of failures. The failure where you step out to do something and it just doesn't go your way. But then there's just the failure of sin and bad choices, bad judgments, weak moments. That's a failure too. And it's in, woven within the story of Peter and his failures walking with Jesus, but then Jesus' restoration of Peter is beautiful. So I want to start out positive here. When you fail, remember that God loves you more than you can imagine, even when you fail. And that forgiving yourself may be the most difficult thing. And the best days of your life may be after the failure, not before, if you allow God to shape the rest of your story. Peter gets a bad rap because of his failures. And yet, I know I would want Peter on my side if we were going into battle. I want, he had a stout heart. He had, though, what Proverbs 19.2 calls it, zeal without wisdom. 
passion without understanding. And he didn't have the wisdom, but he had the passion. He had the zeal. I want that guy in a pinch, right? He's going to want him on, on my, my team, on my side. Life has a way of humbling us, especially when we have zeal without wisdom. And we get humbled. And the older we get, the more, I hope, humbler we get along the way as we learn from our failures. Failure can be a great teacher if we allow it to be. In, um, I'm going to read a passage here in a second, but I want to set it up with, in Luke, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's telling them that he's going to have to suffer and die at the hands of wicked men, but that he would rise on the third day. And Peter, in his zeal without wisdom, he does this a few times, says, not on my watch, Lord, no way. If I have to die with you, go to prison with you, um, that's not happening. Jesus says this to him. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. So for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the number three. We looked at, on Palm Sunday, the three nails that held Jesus to the cross and what those uh, nails meant for us. And then last week on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, we looked at three days that Jesus was in the tomb for three days and what that means for us in having a risen Savior. Today we're looking at the three times. And in the Bible, the number three is a number of emphasis. God will, if he wants to emphasize something, he'll do it three times or he'll say it three times. So that's not um, happenstance that Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. So what was Jesus emphasizing in this? I think he was emphasizing to Peter, listen, you are going to fail, my friend, in your zeal, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. He didn't pray, say, I prayed that you wouldn't fail. He said, I prayed that your faith would not fail in the midst of your failure. First thing I want to say about failure is this. Failure is an event that should cause remorse but doesn't have to be a destiny. Peter felt incredible remorse after his denying of Jesus. It says he wept bitterly after he heard that third time of the rooster crowing. And you know what? We should feel remorse when we sin. I should feel remorse when I blow it. That's actually a good thing. If we don't feel any remorse, we might have a problem. We might have a problem if there's no check of our hearts. There's no check of, in our soul of, man, I you know, in thought, word, and deed when I fail. God, make me quick to feel that conviction. A couple things that kind of build on each other about Peter and his failures. Peter failed at, at Caesarea Philippi. If you remember the story, Jesus takes him to Caesarea Philippi and he says, who do the people say I am? And they say, well, some say Jeremiah, some say a prophet, some say you're John the Baptist. And he turns that question on them and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter immediately says, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. 
Jesus praises him and he says, man, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My Father in heaven did. Two verses later, Jesus says, um, I'm going to have to suffer and die, but I'm going to rise on the third day. And again, Peter says, no, nope, not going to happen. And Jesus, what did he say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but you have your own agenda. You have the agenda of men, not the agenda of God. So he got rebuked there. Then he failed at the Last Supper when they're in the upper room and Jesus washes their feet. And Jesus is trying to make a point there in what it means to serve and love. And Peter says, uh, wash my whole body. Jesus says, you don't need to be bathed because of the word that I've spoken to you. He's talking, you know, in his spirit. And, and Peter just didn't get it. There's a series of he didn't get it. He had his own agenda. How many have figured out when you have your own agenda and you don't give that over to God, it's a recipe for disaster in, in every relationship, in every situation. And then he failed at Jesus's arrest. Remember what he did when they come and arrest Jesus? He pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of one of the Pharisees. And Jesus says, Peter, put that sword away. My kingdom doesn't come through a sword. My kingdom comes altogether differently. Look at me saving the planet. (laughs) And then Peter failed in the courtyard. He failed in the courtyard with those three denials. And each one of these failures was zeal without wisdom. It was a, and it culminated in his denial that he even knew Jesus to a little girl. That's what happened when he kept focusing on his agenda and he didn't see it. He couldn't see it. But here's the good news. Peter was restored by Jesus. We're going to look at that. And then Peter was recommissioned by Jesus And he ended up bringing thousands of people on the day of Pentecost and was used greatly by the Lord. Second thing about failure is failure is remedied by repentance. It's remedied by repentance. When you compare the failures or the denials of both Judas and Peter, they had a lot in common. They had... They were both chosen by Jesus. They were both waiting for the kingdom. They both followed Jesus for three years. Both denied Jesus. Both felt incredible guilt after their denials. Even about Judas, it says that he was seized with remorse after he paid the, got, received the silver for turning Jesus in. And it says that Peter wept bitterly. Well, Judas hung himself. Peter was restored. What was the difference? I think it's found in a verse in 2 Corinthians 7. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow is, I blew it. I take responsibility for my words, I take responsibility for my actions. And it leads to a repentance that leads to salvation. Worldly sorrow is, I'm bummed I got caught. I'm bummed I have to go through these consequences. Used to go down to the Denver County 
jail in downtown Denver, and we would hold church service for the people that were in jail over the weekend, waiting for like a Monday hearing or whatever. Maybe they got a DUI or whatever. And I remember being in there, and you could always tell the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Like most of the guys were just like, oh, I can't believe I have to face these consequences. And, and there were other guys, though, that were broken. They were like, man, I take responsibility for my actions. I, I blew it. That's the kind of sorrow that we need when we fail. There's three words I'm going to give you that I think we have to be able to differentiate and, and know the difference in these three key words. The first word is condemnation. Condemnation. That means to be pronounced guilty and sentenced to some punishment of some sort. Romans 8.1, if you don't have it memorized, I would encourage you to memorize it, says that therefore there is now no condemnation, no pronouncement of guilt and sentencing to those that are in Christ. No condemnation. And we, we, why? Well, Jesus was... Betrayed and condemned by Judas, by wicked men, he experienced condemnation in our place so that we wouldn't have to. It's the beauty of of the gospel. When we look at Judas and we look at the people that hung Jesus on the cross, we were all right there shouting, crucify him, give us Barabbas. We're all guilty till we have our eyes and minds and hearts opened up to the reality of who Jesus is. And then we see that, man, at the hands of his betrayer, Judas's kiss, Jesus is ushering in the new covenant in the, in the ultimate plan of God. It's amazing. Second word is conviction. Conviction, to be convinced. This is actually a great word. We should pray every day, Holy Spirit, convict me when I blow it. Keep my heart tender so that I don't speak words that hurt others, so I don't do things that hurt others or hurt myself. Ask for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is that he would convince or convict the world of sin and righteousness. That's what he does. And so he wants to do that in, in our life if we'll keep our conscience tender and our hearts tender towards him. Then there's the word consequences. We hate consequences for bad things, right? It's terrible. And it's just part of life, though. And I think consequences, the thing we want to run from, actually can be huge teachers to us. It can become, uh, be good if we actually learn from it. Because godly sorrow receives a consequence that says, oh, man, I blew it. And it takes responsibility for the right reasons takes responsibility for our actions. Third thing about failure. Failure is Jesus' platform to display the glory of restoration. It's his platform to display the glory of restoration. Um, seems like monthly during the spring and summer times the, in the parking lot over here where Cocopelli's is, they're always having a car show. You see those cars go by? And guys put the, all this money in restoring old classic cars and give them a new paint job and, and just new engines, whatever, and they're restoring. To restore is to make something that's broken work or to make something that's rusted out be like new. And that's what Jesus does through his, his reconciliation, through what he's done for us. He can restore us. 
In the Greek language, you've probably heard us say this. If, if you've never heard this, this is for you. In the Greek language, there's several words for love, right? Um, we, English language is one of the most least descriptive languages there is because I can say that, that I love God and I love my wife and I love ice cream and mean completely, you know, different things when I start talking about the Rockies or ice cream or whatever. Those Rockies, by the way. Back to usual. Uh, anyway, um, but there, there are three Greek words. So the one main word in the New Testament is agape. And agape love is God's kind of love. It's unconditional. And then there's the word phileo love. And we just translate each one of these to, to love in our Bibles. Phileo love is brotherly love. It's companionship love. That's why Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, because that's what, exactly what that means. It's a Greek word for brotherly love. And then there's the word eros, and that's more of a romantic, googly, you know, sexual love is really what that word means. Now, when Jesus, uh, after he was resurrected, Peter was a fisherman by trade. And after the resurrection and his, his failings and even seeing Jesus, Peter was still uh, under the burden of his failure. He was having a hard time forgiving himself. And he, since he was a fisherman, he did what he knew to do, and he went out fishing one day. It says that Jesus saw him on the shore, and Peter came in, and they had some fish and had, had food together. And then this is what happened. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Restoration number one for his first denial. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Restoration number two. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. He restored him for those, the emphasis on the three denials, Jesus emphasizes three restorations. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what Jesus is in the business of restoring us broken folk? He's in the business of taking our failures and working them for his glory and for, for his good as he restores us and reconciles us. Three times Jesus recommissioned him to his apostleship. Three affirmations canceled three denials. Peter could never think about his denials without remembering Jesus' forgiveness. We need that too. We need that too. Can I encourage you today to let go of your failures? You may have something far in the past that still haunts you. Let it go. He has. You may have something a little more recent. Listen, go to Jesus. Trust Him. Let Him restore. The only thing He asks of us is to repent. 
And to repent means I'm going in a certain direction, I turn around and I go in the other direction. It's a change of direction, a change of attitude, a change of mind is what repentance really is. And then fourthly, failure is God's opportunity to redeem the bad for good. The size of the failure determines the size of the consequences, right? You take a paper clip from the office that you're not supposed to, you might feel a little bit bad about that and bring the paper clip back and there's no consequences. But the bigger our failure, the bigger our sin, it's going to have a domino effect. But the size of of our consequence can also determine the amount of redemption that we experience. The amount of redemption that we experience. William Paul Young is an author most famous for The Shack. And uh, he has a ministry that he goes to men that are on death row. And he ministers to men that are on death row. They're, They're never getting out of prison and they're facing the death penalty. And he talks about these men that come to Christ on death row because they did something heinous. They must have killed somebody or whatever. And they're in there with their own guilt, knowing that for the rest of their life, they're going to um, be stuck in prison. But he said they're the most sweetest men, that the gospel has so transformed men on death row and God is so in the business of redeeming that, that they become men who love one another and they, they're trying to reconcile with anybody and everybody that they can and the messes that they made with their life. It reminds me of Romans eight twenty eight, right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. God doesn't call evil good. He doesn't call our sin good. He works everything for good. The story shows me that Jesus believed in Peter. He changed his name from Simon to Peter, which means the rock, something firm and stable. He changed his name before Peter failed. He knew Peter was going to fail. He believed in him. I believe Jesus believes in us too. And that he wants us to cooperate with him. We don't always live up to the family name. We don't always live up to who we are in Christ. I know I certainly do not. I have my moments for sure where I go, oh my gosh, I'm not living in the way of Jesus. But here's the good deal. We come back. We don't stop being part of the family. We repent. We have a change of mind and a direction and keep our hearts tender to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We get back on the path and and walk with Him and not wallow in failure as a destiny or an identity. But we look back at failure and say, wow, look what He did for me here. Look how He restored that. And they become mile markers in our life of the grace of God. And it just gets bigger and bigger as we keep walking with Him, our understanding of His grace. If you remember in the original passage when Jesus told Him that Satan had sought to sift each of you like wheat, He said, but I've prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. 
He says, when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Let God use your failures to help others. People who have have had failures have empathy on people who have those same kind of failures. And God can redeem that and use it. None of us are going to go through this life without failing to some degree. But we have a Savior who's a Redeemer and a Restorer, and He's praying that your faith will not fail, even, even when you fail. That's music to my ears. And it should be to you as well. It's not that we're not going to fail. It's that our faith, we continue to follow Jesus. Peter went on to be a great apostle. He, his failures actually made him who he was. In John 21, after the restoration, um, Jesus gives a little prophetic word about how John, I mean, how Peter was going to die as a martyr. And when you read through church history, in particular, there's a book called The Fox's Book of Martyr that documents from the book of Acts to modern day of people who suffered and died as martyrs because they wouldn't deny Jesus Christ. They wouldn't stop talking about Jesus Christ. That's still happening in the world today, in parts of the world where people who name the name of Jesus and they don't deny, they get persecuted, sometimes even killed. Fox's Book of Martyr says that when Peter was persecuted and martyred, that Rome was crucifying him. And when they went to nail him to his cross, that he said, hang me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. He had gone from this guy who cowered down to a little girl to crucify me upside down. You can kill my body, but you can't kill my soul. You can't stop me from loving Jesus. Powerful. Bring your failure to the cross. Whether it's little ones that pile up, big ones past, bring it to the cross. We have such a great gospel. Will you stand with me? I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. When you fail, remember God loves you more than you can imagine. Even when you fail. Forgiving yourself may be the most difficult thing. The best days of your life may be after the failure, not before. If you allow God to shape the rest of your story. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, towards the end of the chapter, says in verse 17, If any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creation. Behold, the old is, is gone, and all things have been made new. And he continues on. Paul's on a roll talking about the gospel. And he says, The Father was in Christ, was in the Son, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting men's sins against them. Therefore, we plead to you, be reconciled to God. In other words, God from His vantage point is good. Jesus, he took our violence. He took the consequences and the condemnation. He's not, 
He said he didn't come here to condemn the world, but to save the world. And somebody needs to hear this again. Stop condemning yourself. Stop. Trust Jesus. Go to the love of a father. Any parent in this room, you know when your kids blow it and, and they, they, you see sorrow in them and remorse? God, bring it in. We're good. Well, his love is perfect. Our love is not growing, but it's not like his perfect love. Forgive yourself. If you need to repent of something, then repent. Because all sin does is steal from each one of us. It steals joy. It hurts relationships. It hurts us. It hurts others. Have a change of mind. Have a change of heart. If there's something in your key relationship of your marriage that you need to repent, repent. Treat each other well. Forgive one another and forgive yourself. Lord, as we uh, go from here this morning, I thank you that you've overcome. You've overcome. You did it through your life, death, and resurrection. Help us to live in the identity of who we are in you, Lord Jesus. That everything that is yours, you shared with us spiritually. And Lord, when we don't live up to the family name, help us. Help us. Remind us of who we are and what we have because of Jesus. For his glory, I pray. Amen.